Ladies and gentlemen, we have an action-packed episode of the Vox Podcast for you today. We've got emails to respond to, announcements to make, people to thank, weird Bible verses to talk about, all <laughs> in the next hour, ladies and gentlemen. Now, now listen, the, for the dozen of you that are dying to know the new name, it is coming along with episode 300, all right? Which is That's, in two episodes. Which is in two episodes. And... And because we love our donors, they're going to find out first. And yes. so, bam, if you're on Patreon, bam, you'll know first. Uh, and before the like 12 other people that, that want to know and are interested, <laughs> you will know first. Patrons if, and if you're signed up to the newsletter. Yeah, we, ha- we have a newsletter. That's the rumor on the street. How do people sign up for a newsletter, Tim? It's on the website, voxpodcast.com. Down at the bottom of the main page, you can either send us an email if you want to yell at us about something. How, let me ask you a question. How many newsletters have we sent out in the six years of the podcast? Would you, would you estimate? A lot. Yeah, I would Um, say three. Yeah, no, I'd say probably four. Okay, perfect. Uh, We average a little under one per year. And um, (laughs) so you're definitely, you're definitely not going to get spammed with that. That's true. And I want to thank Mary. Now, I'm not sure if she's any relation to the Mary that we all know in the Bible. But this Mary came on the Patreon support team this week. And as a result, she will be among the first in the world to find out the new name. So, well done. Well done, Mary. And to celebrate our 300th episode, Tim and I cooked up. Um, an idea where we want to to feature a lot of your voices. And uh, we have many voices of angels out in the community. And, and you know, it, it's through this through social media and email, the stuff that we hear from you guys is always incredible. Um, and and so uh, Tim cooked up uh, an, an operation we need you to perform, a, a step of response, <laughs> if you will. Um, and so Tim's going to lay this out, but we want to capture your names and your voices for our 300th episode. So Timothy, uh, tech wizard that you are, tell us what you've cooked up here. Tech wizard, what Tim cooked up. What'd you say? Yes. An operation? I cooked up an operation. Well, mixing metaphors. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to give you two options, actually, because I just decided I'd like to add another way to do this. Well, so that just ha- hold is- on. That just happened. That just happened in real time. Okay. I like to I like to improvise when I'm cooking. Nice. Oh, nice. Um, so <clears throat> we we're gonna be talking about the church and kind of either hope or lament. As we've talked about a lot over the last year, la- the last year was like a great. It felt like a very um, revelatory season yes. for the church. Yes. Much yes. much was brought to the surface. Many people are wrestling with um, a lot. So, and that, and that, in good and bad ways. Some people are very hopeful for the future of the church. Some people are deep in grief and lament. So, we want to get responses from you guys, and preferably short, so we can fit a lot of yes. it in there. So, so, and, so a short. Can I interrupt? Yes, please. It's too late. A <laughs> short statement of hope. Yes. What 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 has happened in the last year that gives you hope for the future? Yeah. Or a short statement of lament. What yes. what personally 
has been exposed that you are you are simply stunned by and grieving. So it could be a short statement, like 30 seconds. Yeah. And I would love a bunch of people just to give <clears throat> one word, like yeah. one word of hope, one word of grief or lament. Yeah. Well, and, and if you if, if the one word is gombus, then maybe it's a bit of grief and hope. <laughs> That's right. Maybe it's a bit of both. Some words are just, you know, all-encompassing. All right, so two options. <clears throat> one is I set up a Google Voice yes. uh, phone number that you can call and leave a voice message on. And the number is 530-492-0382. And I'll put yep. that in the show notes. Say it again. And 530-492-0382. One more time, just cause we, so we could feel like this is what a commercial would be. Like if we were reading a commercial. <laughs> we're auditioning. Call now, 530-492-0382. Yeah. And we'll and call that we'll call that the, be yours. the Vox line. The Vox line. Or uh, record a little voice memo on your phone and just email it to me, Tim at Voxpodcast.com. Boom. That's what we did for all the verse reading, and that worked pretty well. And then I have nice. it nice and organized in my email. So when you when, if you call the phone number, what'll happen is it'll ask you for your name. And you, of course, don't have to give your real one. If it's, I, I'd love it if Santa Claus, Billy Graham, um, Joel, uh, Joel <laughs> Osteen, sure, yeah. um, Beth Moore. Uh, that'd be great if any of those people called in. Um, but you're gonna you're gonna give your name, and then it rings maybe five times and says the Google subscriber is not available, which is true. Which means I'm just denying your call. Yes. And so in that instance, what will happen is that uh, it will prompt you for a voicemail. And for those of you who are old enough to remember, um, voicemails was how we lived. I mean, the, it's where you actually leave your voice in a message for somebody yeah. without emojis and in, in oh. just audio only. It's, 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 I know it's prehistoric technology, but <laughs> it'll be super helpful. But we want to hear your voices. We do. So that's huge. So that's huge. So we've got announcements. We've got thank yous. We've got more announcements. So the 300th episode extravaganza. Statements of lament. Statements of hope. Um, and who knows what else. Uh, what, what, other, what other kinds of fun surprises are in store? Short answer, yeah. not many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so a we'll couple of thoughts. voices on there, maybe. Hopefully. Hopefully. <clears throat> yeah. Um, man, I got, I, I, we get the e email inbox is very full and, um, and it's, and it's wonderful, but a lot of the emails we get don't, aren't just, they're not short, like responses, you know? And so part of the reason we answer them on the podcast is it would just be so long to type out. Um, but uh, this person um, ha says that some, you know, very says some very gracious things. We'll call him Jeremy. Um, <laughs> Jeremy emails, emails in a lot. Yep, and and he he uh, kind of is liking some of the stuff we're exploring. But one thing he says I'm a bit unsettled about is the dis diminishing of the importance of personal salvation for the individual. 
I think I can see why you are picking away at this in light of what our hyper-individualized culture has done with the concept of salvation, especially when the culture where Jesus walked the earth was so much more communal than ours, and the early church started with such community and sharing all things as if God's kingdom had already arrived. Well said. But I don't understand how living in this type of communal mindset in anticipation of God's kingdom coming on earth, where we are united as his body, in any way diminishes the need for personal salvation through faith in Christ's redemptive work to forgive our sins. Um, so excellent, excellent, excellent question. And man, well stated. And this, this person has obviously done some paying attention and studying and thinking. Oh, he also says one of his favorite parts is when uh, Seth comes on. So we need more Seth. We'll try to get Seth. We'll try to get Seth to call in the Vox line. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> or maybe we'll just have a reoccurring segment where Seth talks to us about his favorite restaurants, which always involve <laughs> Chick-fil-A and Red Robin, just to there be you clear. Go. Um, Red all right. Robin. So first, what a great and... Um, a wonderful question and very insightful question. Um, of course, one of the things that was shocking about the ministry of John the Baptist was that John was saying to people that your identity as a child of Abraham was no longer sufficient to guarantee your place among the new thing that God's doing. So there was a baptism for repentance and preparation, ultimately. When Jesus called people around himself, he was, he was refining and redefining the temple, the priesthood, the sacrificial system, and redefining Israel um, in its relationship to him. I mean, so true Israel were those Jews that accepted him as Messiah, which obviously, I mean, massive. This is ultimately what got him crucified, is this it wasn't that he preached God was loving or that God was coming or the kingdom was here. It was God was doing this apart from the standard institutional structures that God himself had implemented. Yeah. So, so yes, in no way does preaching the good news of uh, the renewal of heaven and earth diminish the individual need to say, yes, I want to be a part of that, to reconsider my way of living, to repent. Um, and to embrace the new creation dynamics of what Jesus has accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. Absolutely true. The problem is, and you identified it already, in our consumeristic, uh, individual, hyper-individualized culture, we rob the power of Christian identity um, and corporate formation from any of its power. We rob it by construing sanctification almost in exclusively individual terms. So like the armor of God is a great example, right? Put on the whole armor of God. Thing was written to a church, not a one person. But what we do is we, you know, you can go into Christian bookstores and here's the armor of God set, right? That, that you individually wear. Set. Do they still right? sell those? I hope not. I, I hope we've, <laughs> I hope all of that has gone away. Um, or, or, you know, things like um, the, the wives submit to your husbands, right? That was written to a church um, and, and had a whole different uh, motive than just organizing the nuclear family. I mean, there, there are so many things we miss. And so, yes, we want to counterbalance it by going a bit too far the other way. But you're absolutely right. None of the corporate language removes the responsibility of the individual to say, yes, this corporate thing I want to be a part of. 
And so that's what election turns out to be, interestingly enough. Election in the Bible is God has predestined the Jews for this or the Gentiles for this or group, he predestines groups of people. But groups are comprised of individuals and so the individuals have to sign up. Um, that was the big thing about the New Covenant, right? It wasn't just based around ethnic identity anymore as a child of Abraham, but it was now there was neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male nor female. And so um, the, the and baptism became that signifier that became the individual marker of saying, yes, I am now taking my place in the community of Jesus people. So yeah, even so so I'm saying yes and, even the baptism picture is a picture of an individual joining a community. So it's, that's not even an individual picture. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so election, picture election like God has predestined this plane to go to New York City. Anyone on this plane is going to New York City. You don't have a choice about that. But you have a choice about whether or not you get on the plane. Yeah. And so... so uh, I'm I'm over talking this to say you're absolutely right. It doesn't negate it, but I I, I still even want to couch what individual responsibility looks like in more communal terms than just those. Yeah. You know what I mean? Great question. Anything you want to add to that, Timothy nope. John? So Jeremy spoke in class today. Um, another uh, email that came in with with anticipation hey i'm not expecting you to read this on air but if you do it's okay so i love that yeah. um and this is the question this is part of the question we're going to answer today when we get to our our theology stuff why is heaven being remade in revelation 21 like the earth mm. why did there have to be a new heaven and a new earth Right? And I've, I've read Mackey and N.T. Wright and other scholars about remaking earth and our vocation in that framework, but I haven't heard why the heavens need to be remade. That's a good question. That's a great question. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna answer a bit of that one today. They might be giants, Flood. They might yes. be giants, Flood. Yes, that's the name of this episode, ladies and gentlemen. We're talking about the Nephilim. Bam! One of the weirder... I love it. I love the weird stuff. At the top of the list of weird, this sits, says Yoda. Um, Christianity weird. Oh, and Portland and Austin. All right. And then, and then Tim, Tim's troubled times last episode provoked an unusually larger than normal response uh, from folks. And, and uh, we had a gentleman give us probably the most creative, well, one of the most creative email titles, guaranteed to get eyeballs um, in response. So, so why don't you start, why don't you start reading this one and we'll, we'll kind of, it, cause it's a several paragraph email and, and it's, it, it, it makes a good point and a point I want to disagree with, but go ahead. Well, it starts What's with the title? What's the, the title of the email is in all well, not all, all caps. All, the answer is staring you in the face in defense of the local church. Yes. Okay, but so just it, imagine an email that comes in with that right. heading. <laughs> the answer is staring you in the face, all caps. Yeah. It gets a little like, um, you know, is the answer the email itself? Right. 
You know what right. I mean? Like it, there's levels to it. There's levels. Absolutely. Genius. You get stuck just on the title thinking about it. All right. First paragraph, pleasantries, uh, addressed to Mike, Tim and Tim. Nice. And, um, uh, pleasantries about, uh, past conversations we've had and Gomps's Paul shaped vision of a cross shaped church and yada, yada, yada. And then he gets into uh, paragraph two. Your most recent conversation about whether to stay or go was uncharacteristically vague in scope because the question didn't seem to be about staying or leaving any particular community, but whether you wanted to retain a title or group affiliation. I say it's uncharacteristic because you have resisted such stancing in the past. You talk about leaving the church, in quotes, as if that's even a thing. When people quit their marriages, they may say they're giving up on the idea of marriage altogether, but it's their actual spouse that they are walking out on. And the marriage metaphor is helpful here. Uh, And he uh, links a New York Times article. It says, we will definitely marry the wrong person. There is no such thing as the right person. And knowing for certain that we are married to the wrong person is liberating in so many ways. I submit to you that the, that every local church is the wrong church, which makes it the right church all along. If you are looking for a place where you can worship God while gathered around the table with people who are sure to disagree with you, I know no better place than the local church. (laughs) That's true. I think the answer is staring you in the face. I think it's tragic that so many, that was a title drop. Yep. Uh, I think it's tragic that so many people feel spiritually homeless when there are dozens of local church congregations within a few miles of them, and their main hang-up about attending is that they don't feel these churches are theologically pure when it comes to the new ways they've seen God revealed through the Jesus they see in the scriptures and in the world around them. But isn't this focus on theological purity the exact kind of border patrolling that you all have been speaking out against for years? We need to know for certain that the church in our neighborhood uh, is the wrong church, which likely makes it the right church. That's awesome. Can we keep going? No, I think it's unless there's something else in there that that the point has come across. Yeah. Um, and I mean, as always, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for pushing back. Thank you for using words like uncharacteristically. Um, and for including pleasantries. Um, I love all that. And, 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 and there's a sense in which, oh, there is a good uh, point that he brings up. This, okay. Oh yeah. Go, go, just, go, go. Just because I think you'll want to, res- this will be part of your response. Um, he says the wrong, right, blah, blah, blah. We say that the church is God, a God inspired, God led institution or set of institutions, but it is full of humans. It's a human enterprise. Yet Jesus said that the very gates of Hades could not prevail against it, regardless of what you think Jesus meant, whether it was Peter's confession or Peter himself that Jesus would build his ecclesia upon. Jesus said that the church could not be defeated. He isn't talking about the church on its best day or the church when you discount for all the problems and hypocrites. He is saying that the human organization that he was inaugurating is indestructible, not in spite of the messy humans who embody it, but maybe even because of them. So... Okay, first of all, man, that's great. Well done. Um, and and be, yeah, uh, so many things, so many things. So so, <laughs> first of all, I'm working in a church, in a right. local expression, and that is crucial for my personal health. 
So, and I have been nurtured by incredible communities of faith. Absolutely. Um, so I want to just start by establishing that uh, what, I'm, what I'm not wanting to do is to discount the power of a community of imperfect people totally. and the work God can do in them and through them. Absolutely true. I've, I've benefited immensely from that. Um, and I do think it's also true, something that was said early in the last century, which is the, the greatest hindrance to real Christian community is the ideal of it. You know, that we all come in with ideals about what Christian community should be like, and they never, ever, ever measure up. So, true. And marriage, similarly. The, the, some of the things I'd want to nuance, Timothy, is that it, every family's imperfect, but that doesn't mean every family's equally healthy. And so we're not talking about perfect. We're talking about there are expressions of the body of Christ that are way healthier and more faithful than other expressions so yes it's true in the same way that's true of marriages right not every marriage is equally healthy just because they're all equally flawed just because there's not the one person doesn't mean that there isn't work to do so that you can grow in um, health and maturity and so what i want to suggest is that yes just because a church has fallen doesn't make it the right one in the same way that just because a person is sinful doesn't make it the right one. What we're looking for is health and maturity and growth. And and what I'm the, the things that I'm seeing aren't from people leaving, quote unquote, the church. It's not because of theological impurity. It's because the church has become an obstacle to the gospel in the way that it it lacks love. It's mm-hmm. a justice issue. It's not a theological issue. I mean, my daughter, my, and I've said this before on the podcast, my daughter is 15, and she's like, if I have to choose between loving gay people or loving God, I choose gay people. Yeah. Right? Because that, and she didn't get that from me, and she hasn't gotten that from my church, but yet she's picked up that that's the choice. Yeah. And and so if if that's true for her, it's a no-brainer. It's not theological purity at all that's the issue. It's, it's the fact that the church just doesn't look at in, in any way, shape, or form like Jesus. So, so the first thing I, I'd want to nuance is, hey, you're absolutely right. Local churches, local expressions, we need to right-size our expectations for these. No question about that. Um, and that's repentance on our part. That, that the very imperfection of our marriages and the very imperfection of our friendships and the very imperfection of our church communities, that those are the things that actually cause growth and push us to maturity. But that doesn't mean they're all equally mature. What we're complaining about in quote the church uh, are abuses of power, misunderstandings of, of that are vastly beyond different, slightly different ecclesiologies, but it's, the elevation of celebrity, it's the elevation of money, it's the elevation of power and sex appeal and spectacle. I mean, Paul writes, th- these aren't just minute differences between different approaches of doing church. One is built on the foundation of Jesus, and one claims to be, but often yeah. isn't. And he and he does put in a note at the very end, just saying, like, um, certainly there are abusive church leaders, but he thinks those are in the minority, but... 
same yeah that is a real thing yeah and and that may be and i love that he put yeah. that in there you're right that's that's a great ad um that's a great ad but but even if if not if something isn't expressively abusive um the kind of transparency about money and leadership and how power mm-hmm. gets shared and how women are treated and what happens when people disagree i mean the horror stories we're hearing aren't horror stories of theological impurity they're horror stories of power sex and money yeah and and he could respond, well, yeah, but that's always been true of the church. To which we would say, yes, and look what God did with Ananias and Sapphira. And look at yeah. how Paul responded to people dying around communion, right? Yeah. Absolutely. God is working for the purity of his church. And that purity isn't always spelled out in theological terms, although that matters. But it's primarily spelled out um, in obedience to Jesus as it involves love of neighbor terms. You know what yeah. I mean? Yep. So, so yes, in defense of church, yes. And in, in finding a community of imperfect people, I couldn't agree more that that is the most significant aspect of our Jesus following. Yeah. And I think that's what the new creation dynamic reminds us of. Yeah. I just, How- definitely, I, I agree with his email. I just, I don't think that we're having quite the same conversation. Because my, the, the, the initial pushback from the last episode was not about, um, I, I, I just think that the church may be, the model itself may be off track. Right. And so that's, I, it's not, it has nothing to do with the people. I love imperfect people. They're way more fun. Uh, not that there is a perfect <laughs> version of anybody, but people who are aware of their flaws and living together, yeah. uh, in full knowledge of that and full honesty of that is, is like the most beautiful thing. Yeah, your imperfections, your imperfections, Tim, as grand as they are, bless me. (laughs) Exactly. But like the, I I mean, you even, I think you were on, maybe you said this on Holy Post last week when you were guest hosting, but even the idea that, yeah, A, uh, God was constantly kind of picking apart what the quote unquote church was, and then Jesus was picking that apart. And then in Acts, they started to, it's like just been a constant like, hey, this is not quite right, let's fix it. And then Paul was like, hey guys, let's let's talk about all the individual things that are happening in these different churches. Like it is a, it is a, it is a lineage of realizing the pieces that aren't working and confronting right. and hoping to fix those. And Right, and so, so find I, a I, church. Not, yeah. Find a church that's willing to do that. Find a Which church is that is willing to repent and grow. Yeah. And the idea that just one person uh, sits in front and guides most of the theology and yeah, it, it, that one person's in charge of, I mean, I don't know. I just, and we're going to ha- hope, we've talked about having my wife on because I think that she's the most brilliant teacher I've ever met and her understanding of how people learn and the the best way to teach and in and uh, deliver information and disseminate it and all that kind of stuff is not the model that we foster yeah. in the church. Yeah, totally. So totally. it needs to change. And uh, if the churches are unwilling to do that, then I don't know. I don't, I'm not talking about burning it down, but I, I want to be more intentional with my time and yeah. my community. There's, there's some modes we want to burn down. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be nice right now, but um, the last thing our friend said that I would just, my philosopher friends use this word quibble. It's like a tiny, like, I just want to take issue. It's like, I want right. to quibble. And it's that Jesus founded a human organization. 
And I'm like, it depends what, you know, he said that right at the end. Uh, the human organization that Jesus founded won't. That's a human and, enterprise. And I'm like, is that the word he used? I, yeah. I heard organization in one. Or if he used enterprise, then diff- that's different. My, my critique goes away. Because oh, I think sorry. the human organization or institution is totally destroyable. Yeah. I think the community that is housing and partnering in the work of God in the world is indestructible. So, you know, all the churches, quote unquote, could shut their doors and the church is doing great. Right. You know what I mean? Uh Institution. He's saying the human organization that he was inaugurating is indestructible. Yeah, and that's where I'm like, ah, it depends what you mean by that. That's a quibble, because I would say I I hear organizational, yeah, different than Quidditch. I would hear organizational (laughs) institution as like none of the forms we choose are sacred, and he certainly wouldn't say this, of course. I'm just, but I, but I'm picking up on that language, going, no, I think all the forms can burn. Yeah. Um. What won't, and I so agree with this, won't, won't be touched is the, the fact that the, the kingdom of God is on the move and it started small and unnoticeable and is going to continue to grow, but it's always going to uh, be more subtle and more hidden than we think yeah. uh, because, because the kind of discipleship and apprenticeship and work it requires is cross-shaped. And I don't know about many about uh, about us but that's the hardest work of human life and so not many of us want to do that man just the the amount of discernment like when you like when we try to base the church on something like in acts or whatever and these small groups of people and then the population of the world now versus then and the discernment that's required to figure out how what healthy looks like for right right you know (laughs) It's not like Paul was writing to a church of 300 or I don't know, but like, <laughs> it's just hard. It's a hard, I think it just requires so much like right discernment parents being and wisdom. Yeah, like, yes. None of us want to do that. I'm willing to say you were wrong. I don't know why it's so hard for us to admit that we were wrong about something. Be like, we did it this way. It has come to light that we <laughs> made a left turn and, uh, and we're going to correct. Or that culture has changed and what worked or what was good news in a previous generation is no longer we, good we news. We found us maybe not good news yeah. for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Why Hello. can't we do that? Why can't we say we were wrong and just... Yeah. Drives me nuts. The lack of humility in the churches. And you don't have far to drive. So find a church that is humble. Find a church that is... And again, we're using church in entirely the wrong way. Find a community that's humble. Find yeah. a community that isn't personality-centered or driven, that's team-led, that treats people on the margins um, with great love and care and tenderness, that disagrees well and can conflict well, and that allows for questions and doubts, even of its leadership. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's just one place to start, but none of that's theology. That is what, that's Christian practice. That's right. cross-shaped. Yep. See? And like Gombus, that was the most inspiring thing from last episode for me was when he was just like, so I, I'm, we have a letter writing um, ministry with the prison. Like, just like he's like, what are practical elements that Jesus laid out? Well, then I'm going to practically right. do those. Yes. <laughs> okay. There yes. Go. Yes. Exactly. Exactly right. So great stuff. My goodness. You guys are amazing. All right. Let's continue. Let's spend the next uh, 20 minutes or so talking about 
the Nephilim. When we last left our big Bible story, we were in Genesis 4 with, this, with, with Satan prowling outside the garden, trying That's to right. devour Cain, or sin was devouring, trying to devour Cain. The seraphim Cain. with the six wings who... Yes, who's now... Who's, yes! So good. So, so the picture we get in the early chapters of Genesis is, is that there are these, there are these spiritual beings, Elohim, Elohim, in a spiritual realm that is distinct from the earthly beings and the earthly realm. And Genesis 3 narrates a rebellion where the woman sees the fruit as good and takes it. All right, those two parts, the seeing it and the taking of it, are really important. And that, and of course, the man uh, is observing this. And I mean, there's all sorts of debates about you know who's really at fault. But ultimately, uh, the scriptures see Adam, the the man, as um, the the fault. And Jewish rabbis have all kinds of thoughts about was it because he received the instruction and didn't teach? Even I mean, who freaking knows? Um, <laughs> But the, 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 the picture we get is of a universe that has two realms, the heavens and the earth, and two, they're symbols, remember signs that are rulers, and then there are image bearers that are rulers right. on the earth, right? So there's so, the stars and the... Yeah, the so, star, sun, and moon. Were signs um, and symbols. Were signs. Of... They were symbols pointing to something else, and, and yeah. we were arguing that those were... Images of divine beings, and those divine beings were called to rule the day and the night. And they, they again, it was a, it's a seed picture. It's we like an embryonic the moon. Or was to- it two nights ago was the totally dude. That let me tell you right now, that is proof Jesus is coming back in two weeks. <laughs> I always liked it when they were like the when pastors would use the the moon as a reflection of the sun. And that's what S-O-N. we are. We're reflections of the sun, the light of the sun, oh, man. <laughs> or whatever. Like, never let it be said we don't take an opportunity to draw Jesusy parallels out of everything. And there, there's one Twitter <laughs> account I follow, whose sole mission in life is to do as many Jesus jukes as possible. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. and I, I, I need to find his latest because it was, it was. It was excellent, but it's like, you've heard about this in culture. Let me tell you about a God who this in culture. It, let's turn to Genesis. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's just perfect. All right. But anyway, Timothy. Sorry. So so the image we get is um, of this, this um, being kicked out of the God of the human and earth space called Eden and the, and the humans kicked out the heaven and earth space called Eden. And lo and behold, the earth is full of other people. <laughs> These aren't Surprise. just all coming from Adam and Eve. That like there's this whole thing happening outside. And um and, and we begin to see the in Genesis 4 and 5 the beginnings of corruption, right? And, and we learn names that 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 you know taught culture or Lamech. Um, talks, sings a song, uh, sings a song, or uh, writes a poem about being avenged sevenfold, which is a great, you know, band name. Um, and uh, and then we get to Genesis six, <laughs> which is which is fits squarely in the the big 
mythic prehistory section of Genesis. And it's kind of a, a kind of a pivotal moment. So let me read it. And then we'll spend a bit of time kind of locating on what, what the heck is going on here. So it says, Genesis 6 verse 1, When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, the men of renown. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, of course. And then we move on to the flood story, right? This is the precipitating event for the flood story, which is the uncreation. Right? Creation was God hovering over the waters and separating them. Now God is letting the waters come back together over the land. So it's, so yeah, that's a, that's a whole other conversation. All right. What in the world, Timothy, is happening here? All right. So when human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God. Now, the sons of God, that's not a phrase we've met yet in Genesis. We meet it all throughout the Old Testament eight or nine times. And we always, we, uh, and it's, it's literally the sons of Elohim, okay? okay? Anytime you have the sons of something, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Hebrew way of saying it's a member of the group of that something. So in, uh, with Elijah and Elisha, they, were, they, they had a, a group follow them called the sons of the prophets. And that, these meant that they were prophets. So the sons of Elohim is a reference of saying, this is Elohim. This isn't the, the true God, the creator God, but this is, these are the sons of Elohim. This is the group of beings that belong to the classification Elohim. That's interesting. Yes. And, and in, thank you, Hannah, our sweet Arlo's going nuts in the backyard. Um, and interestingly, there are some who argue that sons of God here is a reference to human beings um, the problem is that's not, not the case at all in the Old Testament ever, ever. Sons of God is always a reference to divine beings. Mm. Now, in the New Testament, sons of God can be in reference to human beings. But, um, man, not in this case. This is, and, and, and even, and then it says, My spirit will not contend. The Nephilim, um, uh, the Nephilim were on the earth when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans. So sons of God is contrasted with the daughters of humans in this instance. All right? Now, think about the the temptation narrative we read in Genesis 3, right? The temptation was to Eve, you can be like one of the Elohim, Mm -hmm. knowing good and evil. She saw the fruit and she took it. Now we have spiritual beings seeing the women and taking them. Seeing that they were good, the word beautiful there is the word good. Okay, it's like literally, Mackie argues it's copied and pasted from Genesis 3. Okay. That the woman saw the fruit, that it was good and took, and that the Elohim saw the women, that they were good and that they took. Hmm. (laughs) So you have, on the one hand, humans who want to break the barrier between humans and Elohim by becoming like Elohim in eating of the fruit. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now you have Elohim who are wanting to break the barrier between humans and Elohim <laughs> by mating with humans. Okay. Okay? <laughs> now, there is all sorts of speculation as to why. Yeah. And, and obviously, good Lord, we have no freaking clue. Um, <laughs> but it's also we don't, clear. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, the, the I, one Jewish scholar argues that Genesis 3 ends towards the end has a promise that Eve will give birth a seed of 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 Eve's line will come and crush the head of the serpent right okay and so now lineage is promised this is the first time lineage is mentioned in the bible and so that the the Elohim were trying to pollute the image the seed Oh, so that's okay. one thought. Yeah. Who who the crap knows? I have no <laughs> idea. But there's a parallel here between what's happened in Genesis 3 with human rebellion right. and boundary violation yeah. and what's happened in Genesis 6 the the opposite way with boundary violation. Yeah. Right? Yep. Oh, and the product <laughs> Of this were the Nephilim, evidently. Now, before we get to the Nephilim, when, when God says, my spirit will not contend with humans forever, their yeah. number will be 120 years. That's a reference to when the flood's coming. That's not to how long humans will live now. Oh, because when you read later in the story, humans are living beyond 120 years. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's a reference to when the flood will happen. Huh. All right? Which is... Absolutely fascinating. Now, <laughs> somehow these spiritual beings inflamed with lust, power, jealousy of God. I mean, who knows? Break this boundary. And instead of being the, the rulers of their space designed to orchestrate their rulership in concert with God in the same way that humans were to orchestrate their rulership, in concert with God. Now we have a fall, if you will, right. in the, the cosmic realm, and we have a fall in the, the human realm, the earthly realm. And, and so when our, when our questioner half an hour ago asked, hey, why do the heavens need to be renewed? Um, this, I think, is part of the answer, that there was cosmic rebellion, just as there were kind of, there's earthly rebellion. And, and the Nephilim, that, that's interesting because the, the Nephilim, the letters can be translated uh, the fallen ones. That's where we get the idea of a fall. Like, why do we call Genesis 3 the fall when that word isn't used or Genesis 6 the fall? It's because these, these Elohim were now, these Nephilim were called the fallen ones. Oh, really? That's yeah. Where, that's, okay. Right. Interestingly enough. And yeah. we meet Nephilim all throughout the Old Testament. Now they're called giants, um, right. and you know anywhere from six to nine feet. If if we're taking all of this quite literally, um, right? Because they measure it out. I remember listening to Mackie talk about how the measurements actually played out, and it and like based on the way the measurements were talked about in there, and it, how it like yeah yeah what you just said. It was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and so so. We meet, we meet Nephilim all throughout the Old Testament. We meet one in Genesis 10 
um, a guy named Nimrod, unfortunate, um, <laughs> who founds the city of Babylon, which is the archetype. It's the antitype of Jerusalem. Yeah. So Babylon is the great city of, of human rebellion against God. And Jerusalem is the place of God's shalom. That literally means um, place of shalom. Yeah. And so, so it's, it's that, that, a, that a Nephilim founds that city ends up, you know, mattering. Yeah. And, and, and then, and then when the, the Israelites show up to the promised land, what's the thing that they say? They say, this land is full of giants. Hmm. And so evidently the Nephilim settled into the land God had promised. Damn. And, and, and one, one obscure one of the more obscure arguments for why Israel was commanded to extinguish um, certain portions of that population is that those those were actually the last of the Nephilim. Wow. And that God was generations later executing judgment um, against that line. And, and that David was the promised seed who would crush the head of the serpent. Because Goliath is the last Nephilim. And, and this is from Mackie. And I don't know where Mackie's channeling it, but it's absolutely true and fascinating. That, that, um, that the word for bronze, we're told everything, like all they tell us in the story is about Goliath's armor. And, um, you know, how much it weighed and how big it was. Um, and bronze, interestingly enough, is spelled with the same Hebrew letters as snake. So literally, the Goliath picture is just a picture of a large snake. And so, and so, and then, and then, uh, so David was thought to be this messianic type, right? This messianic image of, 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 of an image of what Jesus would do ultimately against the Satan. Um, but that David defeated this giant was a battle you know, this was like fulfillment of of um, of Genesis three and Genesis six stuff in this battle between David, who would crush this serpent, literally so dressed. The, the letters of the bronze are the yes. same letters as yes. the snake, which is fascinating <laughs> in in the New Testament story where there is a bronze snake that's made that Moses lifts up that the people look to. Different story. But, but all of that, and again, I mean, I'm channeling all these scholars, yeah, yeah. right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not looking at this going, oh, well, Mike, I really think, you know, based upon my <laughs> translation of ancient, you know, whatever. Um, your translation? Yeah, yes. That would be very, very blasphemous. Um, that, that this, this and, then, and then to David, just to finish the David picture, um, What's David's great sin? He looks upon a woman, sees that she is good, totally. and he takes her. Yeah, okay. Come on. <laughs> so you're like, okay. So so questions come up, right? Is this no. real? Yeah. Is this real? And the answer is yes, it's real. But I don't know in what sense. Right. I mean, I, I if when Jesus speaks 
about the Old Testament, he doesn't nuance it. He doesn't yeah. say, now listen. Um, he references to, and, and I believe when he talks about he saw Satan fall like lightning, like for him, the world of unclean spirits and the strong man that had bound humanity. And for Paul, this was their worldview. Yeah. And so, you know, the temptation for us is to say with Brueggemann when he was on ep- loads of episodes ago, well, that's just a pre-scientific worldview. And, and I get the impulse to do that, but I'm not quite, I'm not quite ready to go there yet. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to hold out as part of my discipleship to see the world the way that Jesus saw the world. And I do think, based on other factors, that there are there 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 is more evil in the world than just the net result of human evil as it accumulates. So so is it real? Is it true? Do we take it literally? Those are all really really phenomenal questions. And I mean, we can we can hijack the episode and go into why maybe you would or wouldn't. But I just want to—I want to hold out, at least for me, the seeds of pictures that Paul and Jesus refer to were planted here. Yeah, that the universe is populated now by fallen cosmic beings and by fallen human beings, and the reason that salvation has to be cosmic in scope is because sin is cosmic in scope. Remember, and sin just means failure. The project of turning over to other beings the godly and creative leadership of creation, that project failed because of the boundary violations on both sides. Missing the mark. Yes, yes, yes. The, 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 that project has failed. And I personally am a part of that failed project, not only an inheritor of all the failures that have come before me, but now a contributor. Right. You know what I mean? That I'm culpably disturbing Shalom and adding to the momentum of darkness, the pollution, maybe is a better word. And we talked, yeah, we talked about that before with like the the sin being those consuming cycles and yes, what it exactly. To inherit, be born into a consuming cycle and taking on the sins of your father. And that's right. And then, and then that, that enters you into wrath. Yeah. Wrath is, is simply the air we breathe. I mean, wrath, yes. like, yeah, you, you do violence to somebody and, and what do you get? You get wrath. You enter the world of wrath. Right. Um, so yes, all of this ties together at some point, but I wanted to take a bit of time on Nephilim because it's such a confusing passage, and <laughs> and there there's a lot here, um, a lot more than you'd think in terms of patterns that are going to replay themselves. Yeah, and um, and so so the image we have now in Genesis six is that we have fallen Elohim and we have fallen human beings. That God uncreates, He allows, He takes away the firmament uh, right. from that that cosmic picture, the vault. He takes that away and allows the waters to remerge, right? Instead right. of separating them, yeah. Then he, and then He separates them again forty days firmament. later. Firmament, and and then Noah. We soon read that the family that he that the family that had been chosen. 
Um, the same way Abraham and Sarah had been chosen or will be chosen and the same way the line of David will be chosen, same way the tribe of Judah will be chosen, right? This line of Noah will be chosen and you instantly find out that they're fallen too. Right. That the fall, that's why God covenants to not do that again because he realizes, now again, does he realize, I, who knows, but he he sees that the only way to get rid of human sin by getting rid of human sin is to get rid of all the humans. <laughs> right. Is it, I don't remember if it was Mackey or who it was that was talking about that section, and he was like, the, word, the language that God uses prior to the flood, he, he uses the exact same language afterwards, and when we're, as the reader, you're like, oh no, yeah, he's going to do it again. Like, right. Are we just going to be in this cycle of... Uh, yep. rinse and yep. repeat for lack of literally. a metaphor. Yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> totally. And so you're sitting there going, oh, and, and again, all of this, all of this is why the traditional story doesn't work, right? This right. is not about hell and heaven. Uh, this, this is about God's project for the freaking universe. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yes, Jesus comes and he opens up new creation space. In the polluted world, he opens up new creation space. And then we begin to practice and anticipate and partner in the coming about of new creation. Yeah. So can I sidetrack us or where are you? Totally. No, no, totally. We got eight minutes. All right. Sidetrack away, my friend. <laughs> the uh, So this idea that, you know, I'm sure you heard a billion times growing up. Oh, 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 oh. Um, can I finish one thing? Yes. Okay. Do you have, do you have it in your head what you're about to say? Yeah. Okay. I just forgot one piece. All right. Do you have it in your head? Yeah, I'm just going to write down one word that... Dude, okay. There are two New Testament passages. When I was talking about, is this real or whatever, there are two New Testament passages that actually refer to this event. Yeah. One is the book of Jude quoting First Enoch. All right, First Enoch is Jewish apocalyptic literature written before the time of Jesus. And, and notice Jude's language. This is Jude 5. Though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Okay. Okay. So they did not keep their proper authority. Isn't that interesting? And then in 2 Peter... Peter's making a case um, that God is just and will judge because people are like, well, how come he hasn't come back yet? Yeah. Uh, and he, he has this side reference that, you know, it's like a Twitter. If I would just reference something off the cuff, like, like yeah, a, gal a, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And I just right. went on to talk about something else. You would know that reference. So he just ha he has one of those moments where he says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to Tartarus, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, comma, and then he goes on with something else. So, so fascinating that two New Testament books reference this as a legit like part of the worldview. Okay. Okay. I just had to throw that in there. No, that's so interesting. Yeah. It's, it's even more interesting because not... not it, it would be, it's interesting that they talk about it, but it's even more interesting, like you just said, that it's in a passing reference to like, 
oh, you know, like yeah, yeah. how God Let, did this with the angels that were, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys remember that? And then we're all here like, wait, what? hold up, hold up. And not, hold and on. not only that, the question, the question it raises in my mind is if those angels are being held in chains for judgment, right? Then what are, then what's happening now? Yeah. Then what else is going on? Yeah. Anyway, okay, your word. Well, and there's like, like I have random things written down here from weeks ago, and I have James two thirteen, mercy triumphs over judgment. It was part of our conversation, but I don't remember why. We're talking about hell or sin or yeah. I've got I've got a few verses written up here that I don't think we got to, and I don't now I don't remember the context. I have the Gospel of Nicodemus <laughs> up here. Hades and Beelzebub are arguing. Don't let Jesus come down here. We have him cornered. And he's about to die. Hades. John the Baptist is here. He's a forerunner. Da, 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 da. All right. It was with the binding the strong men and entering the house to plunder his goods. So the thing that yeah. I was going to say was like we grew up with uh, language that was like. Uh, you know, when you get into like the idea of free will, it's like, well, God doesn't, God doesn't want a bunch of robots, you know, automatons that just like worship him without any, um, you know, agency to themselves or whatever. Right. This, this whole train is interesting because it was always like, and I said an episode or two ago, the problem of evil, this is, this, this, uh, narrative is making the problem of evil easier for me to wrestle with. Because it's 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 because it's changed the the salvificness of it is a little bit different. Mm. So it's changed the way in which I'm like, how could a perfect God allow evil? I would, that as basic as that is, that's always been the number one stumbling block for me. Yeah, the goodness of the purity of God, I can't reconcile evil. I just never I've never been able to do it. Yeah. Um. But I but this is making it easier for me to do that. And this idea of of this partnership this this project, this experiment, whatever you want to call it, of um, endowing this species with um, agency and um, a vocation and a role. But in doing that, there is this room for us to be caught in these cycles, you know? Mm-hmm. It makes it really, it makes this partnership really interesting. And it mm-hmm. makes God's. Uh, involvement in how we're tumbling at times, most of the time, a really interesting dynamic. Like for I'm, it's vague still, but I, the the way my brain pictures things and the way that God, I can see God visually, kind of like interacting and not necessarily like causing those spin cycles, those sin cycles, <laughs> to cease. You're uh, on fire today, but, but bringing in like language and um different things to help us realize how to partner back out of that i don't know it's really it's yeah it's brought the picture has been broadened in a really interesting way that i think is really cool no and, I, and it's helping me see god in a, in a different and i feel more clear way that's Maybe. awesome me i, I want to just um add an exclamation point to that and say me too like sin never felt big enough. Like God really is going to care that, um, I said this bad word. Um, and, and that this is, these are the kinds of things that damn me to hell. Yeah. You know, I lusted over this girl when I was 16 
or whatever. Well, the I think I brought it up with you and Gombas a long time ago, but I was like, I was wrestling so much with judgment because of the fact that as we get into like what we're just doing in in this series or in the Sermon on the Mount, like, hey, a lot of this was taken out of context, mm. um, or it was mistranslated, or uh, this word actually means this and not that. And because of that, our understanding of what we were being judged on was wrong, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So, our, so, you know, how do we even under, how will we even know what sin is if we are reading a mistranslated version of what that is? Totally. And then how is God's judgment just on something that we don't even understand? Yeah. But totally. it changes here a little bit. You know what I mean? Like the, yes. The judgment, yes. it's a different entity than what I grew up with, where I was so worried about those things. Or like you get into like a Baptist tradition where it's like, dancing is a sin. It's like, what? Is that a real yeah. thing? Are people going to go right. to hell because they danced? Right. Well, there's a generation of people that grew up with the fear of that yeah. being a yep. true judgment. And that's just a... And imagine um, making that a gospel issue. Exactly. And, and I'm sure we do the same thing. Like we, we have our like cherry-picked idiocies that other generations will have to you know pick out like how how did those guys actually think this totally um totally agree but i hope what's changed is there's an increasing willingness to repent be challenged be open um to recognize that there has been a lot of harm done not just in some of the things we've taught, but in how they've been held when they've been taught. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and yeah. what we've overemphasized and not emphasized enough. And we're just seeing the carnage of that, you know, all over our culture. And so for me, like, like you take lust, which has just been a, a thorn in my side, you know, since puberty. And, and it's gone from a personal shame-based issue to, oh my Lord, look at how this contributes to the pollution of the world, to the exploitation of women, to the, right, to this whole web. Yeah, and how the cycle of, feeds itself once you're yes, caught in that cycle. Yes, yes, and, 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 the, and the cycle itself is wrath. Yeah, totally. Makes a lot of sense. Oh, you know what, the example, the, one of the things you just said, I was uh, listening to this other podcast, and it's not, what? It's, a, it's one that's on weird, what? strange stuff. Yeah, and they were talking about... Um, Science, and I thought this was a great example for this because there, uh, the the woman was watching a documentary on um, how how to revive people from the dead and like the history of that and different things. Wow! And one of the things was like it, this is over a hundred years ago or more, no, probably one hundred and fifty or more. And they would, if they were checking, they thought the person was dead, and they decided to stick like a hot poker up their butt. This is news <laughs> of the butt Vox edition. <laughs> and and it like woke people up and, and they were talking about how crazy it is a like what was the what was the process that brought you to that being the oh i've got an idea <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. B, now we look back on that science and we're like that's so archaic what in yeah. the world that's yeah. so crazy we've learned and grown that that was not the best way to to do that, there's other ways of checking for life signs other than sticking a poke <laughs> up there. But then she's like, but think about in 200 years from now, we're going to look back and be like, chemotherapy? That's yeah. what they thought was right. the healthiest and best way to get a food. food. And we, but right now, it's the best that we can do. Totally. And so in 200 years, 
hopefully with that idea of repentance, at least, you know, in a metaphoric way, we will have learned and like adjusted that chemotherapy will have a way of uh, eradicating cancer that actually uh, makes sense or is healthier or whatever, you know, like totally. but we learn and we grow. But if we're unwilling to learn and grow, we get stuck with hot pokers in our butts. Dude. And on that note, <laughs> may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. And may he lift up his countenance to you. And in these days bring you peace. And may a hot poker get nowhere near you in the meantime. Amen. Until then, friends. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Vox Podcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash Vox Podcast. On Instagram, at Fox Podcast, and on Twitter, at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.